13. The Gospels record many face-to-face encounters that people had with Jesus. We've been looking at many of these face-to-face encounters. And every one of those face-to-face encounters were an opportunity for life change in people's lives. Every one of them. They were an opportunity. I want, to, I want to be clear on that. People encountering Jesus, and they had the opportunity to change. Now, now, most of these that we have looked at, the end part of their story is you would look back and you go, man, yeah, their life was changed, dramatically changed. The, the one that we're going to be focusing upon today, though, I question the opportunity was there, but I wonder, I don't know, maybe when we get to heaven, it'll still be a question in my mind and I'll ask, but, but I question whether this particular person experienced the life change. The opportunity was before him because we always have the opportunity when we, come, when we have an encounter with Jesus Christ. I don't know if he got it. Luke chapter 13 verse 10 says this, on a Sabbath, Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues. Just to clarify, a synagogue is a local gathering place for Jewish worship. It would be like a Jewish church, if you will. The Sabbath, it says the Sabbath, this was the one day each week that was set aside for rest. And and, and its precedent goes all the way back to creation week. Uh, But the Sabbath, or honoring the Sabbath, is the fourth of the Ten Commandments. You've heard about those. This is, it's number four, and and, and knowing that, this, this verse, what's in this verse, is important information for what comes later. They're in the synagogue on the Sabbath. Verse 11 says, a woman was there who had been crippled by a spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not straighten up at all. We looked at her story last week. If you, if you didn't get it, you can go onto our website and you can find it. But we looked at her story last week and, and we found out that from what we're told here that her longtime physical problem was caused by a spiritual problem. That is an extremely important point about this woman, that that no doctor could fix her, could maybe comfort her, no therapy could heal her, could maybe make her feel better, but it was it, it, because it was spiritual, then there needed to be a spiritual answer to her spiritual problem. So verse 12 tells us, Jesus saw her, called her over, and said to her, woman, you are set free from your infirmity. Then it says this, then Jesus put his hands on her, both hands, and immediately, that means, that means immediately, she straightened up and she praised God. So this face-to-face encounter with Jesus resulted in, in a, a complete and dramatic miracle of God. It's a powerful miracle of God. This face-to-face encounter changed her life. And let me tell you, if you would have been there that day, it would have been an amazing thing to, to see. And I believe that everyone who saw the miracle that day was delighted and amazed. Well, almost everyone. Because verse 14 reads this way. Indignant. By the way, that means very angry. It's not a word we use. Indignant, very angry. Indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, the day of rest, 
Indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, the synagogue leader said to the people, there are six days for work, so come and be healed on those days, not on the Sabbath. Just pause there for a moment. I have to say this. Uh, this was a, uh, I'm sure he was a nice guy. You know, you don't get to be the synagogue leader without being a nice person. I'm sure that he was kind to animals and little children. Uh, I'm sure that his wife, and if he had children, uh, they, I'm sure they loved him. But I, I, don't, I don't care for this guy very much. Just being honest with you. There's something very disturbing about this guy who just saw this amazing thing and has this response. I want you to notice how the synagogue leader, it says, was angry or indignant at Jesus, but he took his anger to the people. Notice that. He, he, he was angry at Jesus or at what Jesus had done, but he took his anger to the people. This, still, this kind of thing still happens. I'm going to give you a little bit of insight on something, a greater insight on sometimes why people do what they do. You see, I have found that people can become very indignant or angry at God, but then direct it or voice it to other people. Have you ever experienced that? People who are angry at God because of something that they feel God did or that God in fact did, or they feel that sometimes they're angry because of what they, they saw God didn't do or what they expected Him to do. But instead of going to him and saying, Lord, I'm frustrated, I'm angry, I'm hurt, I'm wounded, I'm whatever, instead of going to him, they go to other people and they talk bad about God, or they direct their anger at that person. Many years ago, when I was first going into the ministry, somebody pulled me aside, and I, I, don't, I don't think I really understood it or appreciated it at the time, but somebody pulled me aside and said, um, Gary, you're going into the ministry, there are going to be people who through no fault of yours are going to become very angry at you because they're angry at God. I said, what do you mean? Why? I'm a nice person. Why would they become angry at me? They said, because, because people are going to be disappointed by what something that God does or he doesn't do, but they're, they're afraid of what would happen if they direct their anger at God, so they're going to direct their anger at other people. And because you are the point person in ministry in any particular place. You are going to be the recipient of some people's anger. Even though you did nothing because you represent God, they're going to be angry at you. And, and, and then and that, was a, that was good counsel because later on, now let me be very clear. There have been things that I have done that have made people angry and many times rightfully so. But I have found there have been a number of times where I was like, why are they so angry at me? It's because they're angry at God, but they direct their anger at other people. Maybe you have been the recipient. Maybe someone has charged at you, and you're, you're, you're wondering, where did that come from? What did I do? What did I fail to do? It, in, in part, it's because, it may be because there really, there's a tension between them and God. There's a break, a break in that relationship, and because of that, it affects the relationships of people around them. So he's angry, very angry, that's what indignant means. He's angry at Jesus, but he speaks to the people. He voices his anger to the people. The synagogue leader said to the people, 
And this is how he started. He says, there are six days for work. That's how he started. There are six days for work, which is, which is true, right? That's part of the fourth commandment. It's in Exodus chapter 20. You can read all of it later. In fact, just a little side note here. There are more words uh, devoted in, the, in, in Exodus chapter 20 when it gives the whole length of the, the Ten Commandments. There, there, there is much more words devoted to the fourth commandment than any of the other commandments. Yeah, you know, thou shalt not lie. It's like four words, but the, but this one is like 20, 25 words is devoted to the fourth commandment, and yet sometimes we take it lightly. That's for stuff for another time. It's part of the fourth commandment. What he said, what he started off with saying, there are six days for work, that's part of that Exodus chapter 20 part, but then he added this, come and be healed on those days and not on the Sabbath. Wow. You see, in his mind, he saw that a miracle of healing, it was actually a miracle of deliverance, but I don't know that he knew that, but he saw this miracle of healing, it didn't really matter, uh, he saw this miracle of healing and he's thinking, you know, a doctor... If you were a physician, then you could not work on the Sabbath. So he, he reasoned that that's healing, and so therefore, um, same thing as a doctor, you shouldn't do it. So he, he, says, he says, you know what, uh, miracles can only happen six days of the week, but not on this day. And he essentially said, miracles take work, so no miracles today. <laughs> Come back tomorrow, 8 o'clock, the, the, the synagogue will be open. Rules must be followed, traditions must be observed, but no miracles today. Does anyone out here ever have a feeling of like a spirit of slap comes upon you? And I feel that with this person. I just want to reach back in time and say, hit him with, what's the matter with you? Why are you talking this way? What a response. This man had just seen an amazing miracle. The once crippled woman, right? The woman who was bent double. The woman whose head was down around her shins at the beginning of the story is still standing there. She's ramrod straight, perfect posture. And what was she thinking? I think, I think she's standing there and she's got a now, instead of a look of praise and joy, she's got this perplexed look on her face and because she's feeling this man's wrath. She's been suffering this way for 18 years and she's looking at this guy who, who wants it to be 18 years in one day. Suffer for one more day. Stumble around and, and not able to look at people's faces for just one more day. But we have traditions to follow. We have protocols to follow. Amazing response. Instead of rejoicing with her and others, he essentially pointed his finger and said to the people, I see what he did, but I don't like how and when he did it. I see what he did. I acknowledge it. Can't argue with it. The woman's straight up and down. But I don't like the how and the when that he did it. Verse 15 begins with this. The Lord answered him. Remember, the man who was angry spoke to the people, but Jesus spoke to the man. 
<laughs> Jesus wasn't going to play this game. He wasn't going to, you know, well, oh, let me address the people. No, he, it says the Lord answered him. Jesus initiated this face-to-face meaning. That's what this is. Now, now Jesus is face-to-face with this man, and he's speaking to him. But this face-to-face encounter was not to comfort or heal or deliver, but to confront and correct. Say that again. This particular face-to-face encounter, unlike some of the others that we've looked at, was not to comfort someone, was not to heal someone, was not to deliver someone, was not to straighten up something that was crooked, but rather to correct and to confront. Jesus was looking at this person He had this face-to-face, not to straighten a twisted spine, but to straighten some twisted thinking. See, at the beginning of the story, the obvious person with a problem here is the woman who's bent double. Jesus straightened that twisted spine, but what people couldn't see is that there was a man who, if you could see into his mind, and I believe into his spirit, it was even more twisted than the woman's back had been. Some years later, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, it says this, all scripture, speaking of the Bible, All Scripture is God-breathed, and it's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. The Bible says of itself that this is profitable, useful, valuable for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. See, God's Word, the the words of Jesus, the Word of God, it has a wonderful way of instructing us, a wonderful way of training us, but oftentimes this book, God's Word, Scripture, not only teaches us and trains us, but it rebukes us and corrects us. Rebuke simply says, look, what you're doing is wrong. Don't do this anymore. Corrects says that oftentimes we have incorrect thinking. We have incorrect uh, issues. And, and God says, I want to, according to my word, bring you a straightness, if you will, a, a straightening to, to, to stretch out and correct the things that are twisted, the twi- things that are broken. A, uh, a funny and... Uh, quite frankly, a a rather dumb thing happened this last month. Let me give you the backstory. About three years ago, four years ago, when we um, redid this sanctuary, we were required by the city, because we're in proximity to the city, 
uh, to uh, create a little bit more green space. And so we had this island that you see right outside, this concrete island that you see just outside the front doors here between the front doors and the parking lot, we had to build and, and had to put some shrubbery in there. And, and so what we did is uh, there are a couple of plants in there and we planted two trees. The tree on the east side of that island, you can look at it later, we planted, it died, we planted another one, spent a bunch of money, planted another one, it too died, and finally we cut it off and said, all right, no more trees, that's fine. Um, we're just not going to put it there because they die in that spot. It's cursed. I don't know under why, but it's just cursed in that spot. And, uh, and so uh, uh, about two months ago, a month and a half ago, I noticed something was coming up there and it, looked, it, it had a pretty good, looking, um, pretty good looking leaf on it. And I thought, hey, this is great, you know, because sometimes trees that die and you cut off, they'll come up from the roots, right? You've seen that. And so I thought, that's great. We've got, we've got something coming up here. And, uh, and, and it was growing. It had these beautiful leaves that kind of looked like an oak. And I had forgotten what kind of tree it was. But I'm thinking, this is great. We don't have to spend any money. We've got a tree that's coming up. I'm going to nurture this thing and, and take care of it. And for the next um, about three weeks, I was very careful. We, I pruned it and I uh, trimmed it and I made it look presentable. In fact, I think we have a picture of it right here. Um, yeah, there it is right there. And, and so you see the stump on the right, and then, and then this, uh, this, what I thought was a tree. In fact, I, I asked, I said, we need to call Beetle and make sure that we know what this is. And I, I don't know if they sent someone out or we took a picture, but, 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 but it, it, they, they said, oh yeah, that's, that's a tree. It's coming up from the roots. And I go, oh, that's great. That's wonderful. Um, about, two, about, a week, uh, about a week ago, uh, Monday, uh, five, six days ago, somebody, we, we determined that it's actually, it's, it's, it, it was a weed. <laughs> now, I took a picture of it before, before we got rid of it. I took a picture, because I'll tell you what something, that is the best trimmed weed in the upper Midwest. <laughs> Now, my apologies to all of you who are farmers, and you know that that is a noxious weed. Why are they letting that grow here? And, and I turn it to you. Why didn't you say something about it? I'm out there every week trimming that stupid weed. How many times... With good intentions and information that we think is good, is we allow something to be there that really shouldn't be there. That we start thinking that this is a good thing, and we nurture it, and we prune it, and we protect it, and it grows. Other people look at it and go, it's a weed. But we look at it and we go, no, that's something that I have held very precious for a very long time. Two weeks ago, if you would have come and you would have, you would have had to answer to me. I was defending. Somebody wanted to cut it down. I said, that's, we got good word. That's a tree. That's not a weed. But that's what we do. We start believing something that in actuality is a lie it's, or it's a misunderstanding or it's bad information. How many times have we in our lives allowed something, some thinking to creep in and we go, this is good. This is what had happened to this synagogue leader. He got, he, he, he wanted to honor the Sabbath 
And, and, and he was partly true. The, the Sabbath is something to be honored, but he allowed his beliefs and his expectations to come into it so much so that it became more important than the thing itself. How many times have people allowed, I'm going to say it, how many times have people allowed false doctrines, people think that's a bad word, it's not, it's a very important it's a very important word because, because doctrine means truth. Doctrine means uh, scriptural principles. But how many people in their lives, in their walk with Christ, have allowed false doctrines to come in uh, that, that are absolutely destructive, they're noxious, they'll, they'll choke out everything else around it, but they allow it to come in. There are denominations, there are congregations, there are churches today that have bought into, into false doctrines that, that, that are absolutely crushing to the spirit and, and, and the end of it is death. There are people who have begun to believe certain things because not, not only do they believe it, but their parents before them believed it and their parents' parents before them believed it. But it's not scripture. It's not according to God's word. But they're saying it must be because we've, it's been growing there for so long. It must be something that's good. And yet the reality is it's wrong. We elevate sometimes. We elevate our traditions to become doctrines. There's a, there's a, it's, you won't see it on the screen here, but there's a verse. It's in Proverbs chapter 14, verse 12, and it says this. There is a way that seems right to a man, but the end is death. The, the, there's a way that seems right. It seems right. It, I sincerely believe this. I, there's a way that seems right to a person, but if it continues it ends in death. There are so many people in our world today, even people who call on the name of Jesus Christ, who have embraced a teaching that is not according to the word of God, uh, have, have, have gotten some twisted thinking into their lives, and, and, and it's, it's destroying them, and they don't even know it. Twisted thinking. Twisted thinking. Here's some, like, God doesn't care. There are some people who have allowed that root, that, that weed to grow. God doesn't care. Or my choices will have no consequences. Doesn't matter what I do. It's not going to affect anyone else. It will have no consequences. So therefore, we're just going to let that grow. How about this one? Boy, this is a big one right now. You know, there are people who claim faith in Jesus Christ who says there's no hope right now. There's no hope. This is a hopeless situation. And I refute that. I come against that. In the name of Jesus, that is a weed that must be pulled up. And I tell you, there is hope because of Jesus Christ. Don't you forget who we're a part of. Don't you forget whose life you are in. You are a follower of Jesus Christ. And when you gave your life to him, you became suddenly protected and, and, and guarded by the, by the person of Jesus Christ himself. His Holy Spirit guards us and keeps us. There is hope. There is hope because of Jesus. 
God's word distinguishes the truth from the lies, from the twisted thinking, lies that must be uprooted and must be thrown away. If not, because if we don't uproot them and we don't throw them away in time, we will not only believe them, but we will defend them and we will protect them and we will come against anyone else who tries to take them down. This happens. It's happening in many ways in many places right now. Jesus had this face-to-face meeting to correct some wrong thinking. And with a controlled and righteous anger, Jesus said, you hypocrites. <laughs> <Can> you... <laughs> you know, people, oh, Jesus was always so kind. Not here. He says, you hypocrites. The word hypocrite um, means actor or stage player. It means a person who... Who, who, who has a face of one thing but actually says another. That, the, the Hippocrates, it, it, not, not, the, not the philosopher, but the, the Greek word, uh, it means, it means to, to act or to play act. Jesus said, you're a play actor. You're saying things without really believing them. Jesus exposed his heart. And again, he said this, you hypocrites, doesn't each of you on the Sabbath untie your ox or donkey from the stall and lead it out to give it water? Then should not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has kept bound for 18 long years, be set free on the Sabbath day from what bound her? Jesus essentially said this, you guys, he said you, He said, you care more about your animals on the Sabbath than you care about this person. Jesus is calling this guy out. I'm just going to add a little side note here. I've got a number of those today. Let me briefly add this. In any society, there is something terribly wrong if more value is given to animals than to people. Just let that... Something terribly wrong. Now, here's the hard question. There's almost always a hard question to any, any of these face-to-face encounters. Here's the hard question. If you were there that day, put yourself back in that position, put yourself back in the synagogue that day. If you were there that day, would you have sided, don't answer this out loud, but just consider, if you were there that day, would you have sided with Jesus or with the synagogue leader? Who would have you have come down on? I had to ask myself this because, you see, I like tradition. I like, I like um, things, you know, I like order. I, and, and so, um, but, but, but that's a hard question. If, if I would have been there, if you would have been there that day, would we have said what Jesus says is truth or would you have deferred to the tra- longstanding traditions that had grown up um, and become something that it was never intended? Would you have liked what Jesus did, but maybe not liked how or when he did it? I ask that because I found that we can want God to do something great, but then ask him to do it in the way that we like and at the time that's convenient. (laughs) We want God to do something great, but then we ask him to do it in the way we like and at a time that's convenient. We expect great things, we want great things, but we want it a certain way. Jesus often did great things in shocking ways. 
He did great things in shocking ways. For example, in John chapter 4, Jesus reached an entire community in Samaria, beginning with one disreputable woman who had been shunned by that community. He did, he did an amazing thing, but he did it in a shocking way. In Luke chapter 5, we looked at this a few weeks ago, Jesus cured an incurable disease by first touching someone considered unclean. In Mark chapter 7, Jesus made a deaf man hear. That's a great thing. By first putting his fingers into the man's ears. By the way, don't ever expect that here. I'm not, I'm, unless the Holy Spirit really makes it clear, I'm not going to put these fingers in your ears if you have a hearing problem. In Mark chapter 8, Jesus brought sight to a blind man by spitting on his eyes. He did a great thing, but he did it in a kind of a different way. I, I wonder, I wonder if a disciple ever pulled Jesus aside and said, Hey, Jesus, these miracles are great, but really, can you lay off the stick in your fingers in people's ears and spitting in their eyes? It's just not going over very well. We like what you do, but the way that you're, the way that you're doing it little unsettling. You see, we want miracles. We want divine interventions. I would say that I speak for almost everyone here this morning. We want God to do something great, but we want them done our way. Deliver me, Lord. Deliver me. I know you can deliver me today. Do it soon. Lord, lead me, lead me. I'll go where you want me to go. I, I, Lord, just lead me. You're the leader. You're the le- I'm the follower. I'm a follower of you. Lead me, Lord, but, but please not to difficult places. I'll go where you want me to go, Lord, but not there. Lord Jesus, save my hell-bound co-worker. They're lost. They're absolutely lost. I see it every day. But Lord, I'm shy. So would you use someone else to tell them? Lord, keep my kids close to you. It's a wicked world out there. Keep my kids, keep my kids so close to you. Guard them and keep them. But we are so busy as a family, and they're involved in so many things. Please, Lord, don't ask me to get them involved in ministries specific for them. Lord, work miracles in my finances. You're, you own the cattle on a thousand hills. Lord, slaughter a cow. I need it. But, don't, but you know I can't afford to tithe. We want the Lord to do great things our way. But when we want Him to do or are okay with Him doing great things, but wanting it our way, we kind of resemble that long-gone synagogue leader. And I don't like that. I don't like that about me. I told you, I don't care for this guy. But I'll tell you, there have been times when I've been a lot like that guy. 
Let me be very clear on something. What Jesus did then, he does now. Somebody say amen. What Jesus did then, Jesus does now. These encounters that Jesus had with people, he healed then, he still heals now. He delivered people then, he delivers people now. He corrected and straightened things up then, he continues to do that now. But like then, his methods may not conform to our expectations. God, I want it. But if it comes in a way that I don't expect, I still want you. I believe that you desire to do something great in me, in my family, in my marriage, in my home, in my job, in my business, on my farm, at my ranch, in my community, in my nation. I believe that you want to do it. But God, if you want to do it in a way that that is not very comfortable to me, God, then then so be it. I, I, I don't know, but I trust you. I don't know exactly what's happening in my country right now, but I believe your word that it says in the last days, you're going to pour out your spirit upon all flesh, and there's going to be a great ingathering of lost people. And if this is what you have to do to shake us up so that the gods, small g, the gods of this world die and are seen for what they are, then so be it, Lord. I don't necessarily like how it's done, but if you want to do it, you do it. What Jesus did then, he does now. But I don't want to miss what God has for us. As a gathering of believers, as a a nation, as a community, and certainly as an individual, I don't want you to miss what God has for you because it is presented in a way that you don't like. He has a tremendous gift for us, but it may be packaged in brown paper. It may be packaged in a Walmart or a Target bag. When you surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, you surrender more than your sins. You also surrender your expectations and your personal demands. So God, whatever it is that you want, and however it is that you want to do it, if you need to cut down some weeds, if you need to break through some protocols, if you need, if some traditions, if some traditions that may have been good at the time, but that they just need to die because we've added to what you have said then so be it, Lord. I want you. Praying about how we are to close this time. For I, I know that there are some ways that are very conducive to gathering together around an altar Sometimes my concern with that is that God desires to do something in every one of us. And so, with your, um, 
with your cooperation and you in agreement, and it, it, it can only happen if you agree to this, I would like to lead us in a prayer. You know, oftentimes, if somebody does not have a relationship with Jesus Christ, um, we lead them in a sinner's prayer because they don't know how to pray it. That's very appropriate. Um, and this morning, I want to I give you the opportunity. If this morning you do not yet have a relationship with Jesus Christ, there's going to be someone right down here at the close of the service. You may have something else that you want prayed for, but um, there will be some of our pastoral staff who are down here. And I want, if, if you have not yet come into a living relationship with Jesus Christ, and you tell them that and they will lead you in coming to Jesus Christ. And I promise you, I, if that's you, I promise you that today is going to become, is going to be the, the greatest day of your life. I promise that. You want the greatest day ever and you're not with Jesus, come to Jesus today. And there will be someone here to pray with you. So we often lead people and we say, if you agree with this, repeat after me or pray this prayer with me. I'd like to do that today. I would like everyone to stand here if you can. I'd like you to stand. We're going to close in prayer. It's very important. Please do not rush out. This is a very holy moment because it comes down to a place of decision. I'd like, to, I'd like to pray something, and if you agree with it, and you're a follower of Jesus Christ, because that's where it begins, um, then I'd like you to pray this prayer, and I'd like you to pray it out loud. Uh, it's, a, it's an act of faith, and, and if you agree with it, you listen to what I say, and if you agree with it, I want you to, it doesn't have to be shouted, but I want it to be out loud. It may just be this quiet, that's fine. But I want you to pray it out loud. We're going to pray this prayer. If you agree, repeat after me. Lord Jesus, I am yours. I gave my life to you. You are my Savior and Lord. Straighten out any twisted thinking in my mind. Straighten out my heart if it is crooked. May my thoughts conform to your word, not man's traditions. May my expectations be surrendered to your will. Lord, you have heard the prayer of these people because... I believe that if they prayed it, they, they meant it. These people are smart people. They wouldn't have prayed it had they not agreed to it. So Lord, hearing their prayer, hearing our prayer, hearing my prayer for your will to be done, for my expectations to be surrendered, Lord, then, if we pray that with sincere hearts and minds, then I believe you're going to do something very remarkable in the near future. But if, if that happens, it will probably happen in a way that I did not expect, perhaps even at a time that I did not, do not care for. 
So Lord, in that moment, may we look to you. May the prayer that we just prayed, may, may our expectations and our demands be surrendered to your will. May our thoughts that have been too often influenced by the world around us, may our thoughts be conformed to your word. May you teach us, correct us, rebuke us, train us in righteousness according to your word. So Lord, this I pray. I thank you. And now, Lord, I ask your blessing upon every person here. May your Holy Spirit go before us in amazing ways. May you direct us in amazing things. May we trust you like never before. May we be the church in this community and throughout this nation. May other churches, may other leaders, may, may other, other believers across this nation and around the world be encouraged this day knowing that hallelujah we win because of you thank you lord your favor upon us i pray in jesus name if you believe it say amen amen god bless you this morning go in the presence and the power of the lord jesus christ these altars are open your diet.